Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Prince Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. What is up? I'm your host, Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the TalkHouse podcast. This week, I'm joined here in Bushwick, Brooklyn by... Nick Dawson, editor-in-chief of TalkHouse Film. It is good to be back. It's been a minute, man. So glad to have you back with us. For today's show, we paired two old friends and occasional collaborators, comedian Chris Gethert and singer-songwriter Mal Blum. It was so much fun to listen to this conversation. These guys, really, they come from very different backgrounds. They are in different creative fields. And yet at the same time, as we hear in this conversation, they overlap in so many interesting and rather lovely ways and, and are also just incredibly entertaining to listen to. And Mal Blob is kind of having a bit of a moment. Yeah, their new album, Pity Boy, has been doing really well. It's been very exciting to see because Mal's been around for a while and is just finally getting their due, I think. Yeah, as Gethard says in, in, in their conversation, it is sort of a time when, to use Mal's personal description, uh, when a Jewish chubby transsexual can become a legit musical phenomenon. To that end, let's play one of my favorite tracks from this record. This is I Don't Want To. Chris Gather calls it a banger, and I fully agree. Cosign, let's do it. Well, Nick, the world may just be waking up to the wonders of Mel Blum, but Chris Gethard has been along for the ride and has watched their career evolve and even helped in some ways. Yeah, Gethard put Mal on the Chris Gethard show when it was on public access, helped Mal get their first record deal through Don Giovanni when before that they were just putting out records uh, on the internet. So it's been really cool. These are two people whose careers and lives are sort of uh, deeply entwined. They are. Now, I'll tell you this also. Chris is deeply entwined with the TalkHouse podcast, Nick. Hell yeah. I was very pleased to realize that this is his uh, hat trick appearance on the show. Yeah, appeared with uh, Todd Barry and Tim Heidecker, and has also written a couple pieces for uh, the print version that is TalkHouse, just to put in a word for the written word, as it were. For those of you out there who somehow are not aware of Chris... Uh, unthinkable. Is, unthinkable. <laughs> unthinkable. He's a brilliant comedian who's had a number of shows over the years, has a podcast, and is a pretty prolific writer. Probably the thing that launched him to greatest prominence in a way was Career Suicide, his show that became an HBO special. And as he talks about, was really sort of him at his rawest and most personal, talking about his struggles with mental illness and, and with suicidal tendencies. Yeah, the two get into that and, and so much more in this conversation. They go quite deep. This is a conversation between two people who have a lot of love and respect for each other and who are willing to open up to each other. Absolutely. They are very, very open in this conversation about everything from mental health problems mm -hmm. to dealing with fans. Gethard is somebody who, from the very start, was very, very open and welcoming towards his fans. But as he became more famous, that changed in terms of how much he could actually handle that in his it's life. It's taken a little bit of a dark turn at times. Yeah, and there's a great story that he shares about the way that that becomes just a little bit... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too close to home yeah. and too near the bone. Yeah. Oh, he's we, a Smiths fan. Yeah, he's a Smiths fan. Yeah. Yeah. 
Speaking of crossing boundaries, we hear about Mal's lack of social boundaries and their possible future in comedy. Yeah, Mal is, as we hear on this podcast, very, very funny and has an eye on a little career change. I could see it. Whereas Gethard, as he reveals, is, is just looking to wrap everything up <laughs> and just call it quits, which I kind of get. He can't, though, because we see here he opens his joke notebook to Mal and to all of us, and there's too much good stuff in there still, Nick. It's, it's not time yet. It's not time. And as he also says, he is talking about wrapping up his career while doing a shit ton of stuff, which is very exciting. He even teases like a secret project that we didn't get to hear about, which I'm very resentful about. But also excited, but resentful, but excited, <laughs> but resentful. The two also touch on blow and comedy condos. Those words together make me happy, although in fairness, the context that they portray it in, very dark. Yeah, maybe not so happy. We hear about their agreement on their sexuality, both being attracted to, quote, erratic or controlling people who will blow your life up. They both love trouble and, yeah, that's, that is their common sexual identity. Who knew? Listeners, we told you this was going deep. And, you know, Talkhouse has made a number of kind of super awesome partnerships and collaborations come together. But here there is a discussion, and I hope it is serious because my heart will be broken if it's not, of a weird Mal Yankovic record, <laughs> Gethard and Mal teaming up for that. I think that would be legit amazing. So here for it. Right at the start of the conversation, this is Mal responding to Mark, our wonderful producer, asking whether he can take some pictures while Chris and Mal are talking. Let's do it. Listen, I didn't get into this business because I hate attention. <laughs> Is this recording? Tell me that was recorded. <laughs> Can we just end the whole podcast there? Yeah. And everyone who loves you will immediately go, I guess I thought wrong. You did. You all thought wrong. You love it. You're in it for the attention, the fame, and most importantly, I would say, the fortune. Yeah. That's why you're in independent music, is the fortune. Well, yeah, honestly, uh, that's why I'm not in comedy. Yeah, <laughs> tired of working for pennies. Well, I thought, well, if I if I go into comedy, I'll be just as financially bereft, except then also it will be considered socially acceptable for people to yell at me that they hate me while I'm on stage. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> well, you have to divide your money up between a band, but our lives are much lonelier. Like, imagine being on the road playing a bad show and then just sitting in a hotel room by yourself in Salt Lake City. Although you did that for a long time. Oh, I've done it, my friend. Yeah. But it wasn't a hotel room. It was like a stranger's couch. Right. Or like sometimes... Like a bug-ridden punk house. Yes. Or sometimes their bed. <laughs> ah. Wandering through this... Oh, Malblum, wandering through this world. Yep. Sure was. A couple times I slept in my car. Wasn't great. Not a good idea. Yeah, we have it easier. We get bought hotel rooms as comedians, but they're never great. They're never good. And you really, you don't get like, you don't even get like a quality in? Mm, you, you get things of that level, but they're always out on the highway, like mm. next to uh, IHOP, like that type of thing. We're like wandering across a parking lot to the IHOP, and mm. that's the third time you've gone to the IHOP this weekend. I love it. The only thing that's right. Sometimes, though, they have comedy condos. Do you know what about this? What the hell is a comedy Sometimes, condo? Sometimes, rather than pay for hotel rooms, it's cheaper for a club. Like, if the city has reasonable rent, they'll just rent a condo permanently, and that turns out cheaper than renting, like, 12 to 15 nights of a hotel over what? your acts. And then you stay in the condo, and the condos are extremely unpredictable. Comedy condos are known to be, you don't know if it's going to be, like, super nice or like the comic who stayed there last weekend like did a bunch of blow and punched holes in the wall and, and flipped everything over. You don't know. Is that what comics do? 
Some comics. Really? Yeah, they fit the stereotype. Those road dog comics can fit that stereotype. Oh. Comics I... have a lot of demons, as you know. Listen, though, mm. it's very important to me because you and I could chit-chat oh, yeah. all day long and we could charm the hell out of whoever finds this. We both know that. <laughs> but I really do want to make sure that I let you know. Uh-oh. No, very genuinely that I'm so you excited for your way. new album. <laughs> I'm so excited for it. And everything I've heard off of it is great. And we were texting about this a little bit. Mm. But it seems to be catching press mm. and buzz in a way that I want to hear your opinions because I'm sure you both love that and it's freaking you out. I know you well <laughs> enough to know this. But I'm so psyched to see it because I think that uh, it's long overdue. And I was even saying to you the other day, I hope that not only does this album blow up, but I hope that there's other people who maybe are, are learning about you for the first time who dive into your back catalog because it's great. It's Thanks. a great back catalog. And you and I are friends... And I listen to your music on a regular basis still <laughs> after all these years. No, you don't. Yes, I do. And you have songs that strike a certain emotional chord with me where if I'm feeling a certain way, I will seek out certain songs by you. Aww. And I think that's the mark of someone who has a back catalog built stand the test of time. That's really sweet. That's I'm, really talking, sweet. I'm talking deep cuts. You've always had a good turn, uh, the ability to turn a phrase. Thank you. Thank always. you. And you're a comedian at heart. And we've talked about this at times. <laughs> You're a comedian at heart. You know. And it's fun to revisit those old songs and those turns of phrase. I love when um, sometimes people come to my shows. I love when they're like, after the show, they're like, You're so funny. You should be a comedian. And I'm like, Did you not enjoy the show that you just, that you just received? <laughs> I know what they mean, though. I know what they mean. You, uh, you, when, so for anybody listening, the background is you played the old public access show that I did mm-hmm. and I was not familiar and my jaw <laughs> the dropped. old public access the old show. public access show and my jaw <laughs> dropped and I uh, here's the thing I wanted to talk about and I wonder how you feel about it what we had I mean we at, at the end of the day we did over 200 episodes of that show mm-hmm. between public access two different cable networks we, we topped out over 200 episodes and I can say genuinely no musical act was embraced by our audience more than you. And that's just real. And you know that's true, I think. And even in the Facebook group of like fans who, you know, that Facebook group is still very active even though the show is done. Just about two weeks ago, someone said, who's the artist you found out about through TCGS that you're still into, basically? Mm. I think your name, more than anyone else's by far, was you, mm. Rosenstock, Front Bottoms, Interesting. Laura Stevenson. Huh. But it was Mal. Mal. And, the, and you know what I thought was very heartwarming too? Hmm. Reflective of you as a human. They didn't, a lot of them just said Mal. They didn't say Mal Blum. They said Mal. <laughs> Your audience, you They're clicked, like, we know which one we mean. Well, you, my audience clicked with you hard. And it speaks to this idea that you have some comedy inclinations. You have some comedy <laughs> in your soul, your songs. But I don't want to write it up because they're not parody songs and your songs are not prioritized at being funny, but your songs do make me laugh out loud sometimes. You know, the first song I ever wrote was a parody song. Really? It was. It was called The Vegan Song. Weird Mal Yankovic. Honestly, I loved that guy. Of course I loved of that guy. Of course you yeah. loved Who? This yeah. is not a stunning revelation yeah. that you were into Weird Al. Yeah, it's Weird Mal. Weird mouth. Can we please? And you know, Joe from Don Giovanni would put it out. What? You? Yeah. Me. Ow. We straight up, no, we straight up write a bunch of parody, parody covers of other songs <laughs> and put out a Weird Mal Yankovic album. You know, people would love it. Yeah, Joe would put that out in yeah. a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. 
<laughs> Honestly, when have you ever pitched me something and I've been like, no. It tends to work out, our little collaborations. I love Literally, it. Literally, every time you're like a little schemer, you're like, hey, why don't we do this thing? I'm like, okay. <laughs> it generally works. <laughs> Literally. You're like, hey, why don't we collaborate on this song? And then you'll get a record deal. And I was like, okay. I did help you get a deal. I was proud of that. You literally did. Twice. Well, because the first time didn't work. But then you were like, you know what? We're going to put the, I sent you, you're like, do you have any songs that you're going to throw away? Well, I, yeah, I said we should do a song together <laughs> yeah. on my album. Yeah. And then I think you had, I think it was, I don't think I had said, give, are you throwing away? I think you said, I got this one. I'm never going to do anything with. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would like to think I wasn't like, give me, give me one of your no, songs. No, 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 no. You were like, let's collaborate. And I was like, here's a throwaway or whatever. And that became. And that became crying at the Wawa. Which has a hilarious. My, I am not popular on Spotify. <laughs> I think my comedy tracks top out. Maybe one of them has about 5,000 streams. Have we talked about Wawa? Do you know that it's a hit on Spotify? Almost it's like almost 300,000 streams. Really? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. I owe you some money. As I'm saying that out loud, <laughs> I realize I owe you some money. What's up, Chris? Where's my money? I got to talk to you. I invited you onto this podcast. <laughs> it's to shake me down. Shame you. Well, how do I, you I got to figure I'm, I'm too much of a Luddite to know how to track how much that track has actually earned, but I should, I, I'll go track it down. I don't know. I think, oh, well, no, I think you might be getting, I think on Spotify, I think you are listed I think you might be getting money from it already. We'll check into this. We'll, we'll this doesn't in. need to be recorded on the podcast. Money <laughs> stuff. You're um, dodging. Listen, we're talking history between us, but you're dodging some of the things I brought up. Okay. Wait, this but buzz, the end of the story is okay, that yes. you were like, let's put this out and we'll put it out on my comedy album. And then I think, you know, maybe Joe will see and he'll give you a deal. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Joe I got your like, back. Yeah. I should be your manager. I, I would have be a manager a now. Manager. You but do? you would be. You would be a good no, manager. Because who loves you're too you busy, more? Though. Who loves you more? Well, my career, I'm starting to realize my career is winding down. So I might, I might need a new gig. Your career is not winding it is. down. I'm happy that it's winding down. I want time back and I want peace back. And I've, I've learned more and more. I've intellectually understood it for a while, but emotionally I'm at peace with the fact that no level of achievement is going to erase my neuroses. So I want to stop chasing because mm. it doesn't get this chasing of accomplishment. Mm. It's a very American attitude. Doesn't fill Other the countries void don't do this, and the, the void, pouring any sense of accomplishment into the void is not filling the void. I'm going to keep trying for at least a couple more years. Is that okay? <laughs> You're not as old as I am. You're not as tired as I am. I'm sure that if I get to a certain level of achievement, I'll stop hating myself. I want to talk about achievement. I don't want to let you off the hook because your body okay. language did change before when I brought it up. No, cut, hit me. Let's do this. Yeah. This album's getting good reviews. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Yeah, again, once again, you uh, to anyone listening, you sort of turned away. No. Now you're grinning. You're bashful. <laughs> we got some good reviews before it even came out, like good ones. Honestly, there's more reviews of the record before it's released than during the entire album cycle of the last record. That's are, how are you feeling? Um, I feel great. I mean, I feel good. I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> this is the mix. This, this is, is the mix, yeah. This is the conundrum. I mean, I don't know what's different about this one. It's just clicking. I, yeah, I guess I guess it's just clicking. Um, well, I'm a little bit dubious. I, I keep being like, well, that'll be the last one. Or like, you know, okay, well, they'll write about this once and, and they'll never write about anything we do again. Or like, you know, it's like, like no bad reviews have come out yet. No, glowing 
Yeah. Glowing reviews. The worst thing that one of them said was like, I would have left these two songs off the record. Yeah, every album has two songs. And I was I like, that, if that's the worst thing that comes out. However, every album, as we discussed over text, I remain a Jewish, chubby, transsexual. And so I am dubious that all of the reviews will remain positive. But as I said in text, <laughs> maybe in 2008 when you started putting stuff out, the world wasn't ready to embrace, as you say, your words, not mine. <laughs> Chubby You're Jewish transsexuals. <laughs> I'll go there. You just look pointed at, the, at me. Look you at pointed the fear at me. In his eyes. But listen, the world. You're ahead of your time. You always have been, and maybe the world has caught up to Mal Blum. I mean, it's interesting to think like, oh, maybe in 2008 the music industry wasn't ready for it. But I, I mean, in 2008, I wasn't out as trans. Uh, I mean, I was with like my friends, but I then I went back in. <laughs> For a while, and I definitely wasn't like identifying that way alongside Even my music. Deep into our relationship, I feel like yeah. I don't know that. I think we met maybe 2012, 2013. Sounds about right. Yeah. And I don't know if you were using the syllable trans. No, I don't think I was. I think that there were as our as even as our friendship has progressed. I think. I've heard you phrase it in many different ways, which is mm. neither here nor there. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely been like a, pardon the pun, but a bit of a transitional uh, process, um, which, yeah, I think it, it's interesting because I, I went through a, my pronoun change in 2014, like right before we started doing all the press for the new record. And I, and I was really nervous about like... Because effectively, I was like, this is going to, I'm going to come out with, you know, like, mm-hmm. this is what it will be. And um, I had a, a big freak out. But it seems like as I have gotten more sort of, like, comfortable and, and like, vocal about, like, being trans, um, only, like, only positive things have come from that. When you live very publicly and you invite your relationship with your fans into your mm. life... In a way that gives, it gave me a lot, and I'd like to think it gave them a lot. Then they come into your house. It, re- it erased some boundaries. And then when my career hit a level that was big enough, that felt very... When you first met me, and it was this cadre of public access fans, and they would call on the phone, and I'd know who each of them were, because mm-hmm. there were so few of them, and it was growing. Mm-hmm. It felt like this, like, arm. first it felt like a family, and then it felt like this army. Mm. But then once I had the HBO special, in particular, where I talked about suicide, right. I'm very proud of that special, but I have major regrets because also it has opened the floodgates of people having access to me in a way that has scared me a little bit. Mm. And especially now having the kid. Like people are reaching out about mental health stuff that you feel unqualified Every day unqualified for the past to- three years. Wow. I, I, I get a message online or someone coming up to me and it's very, very flattering, yeah. hard to navigate. And then also just weird stuff like people. I was once, yo, oh, you'll love this. I was once eating in a diner. Nice. And I love diners. Yeah. I'm a Jersey guy. Yeah, Jersey. You and got, got tagged in a photo on Facebook. <laughs> And it was in a, in the Gethard Show fan group, and it was someone saying, uh, "Oh, is that our? We ordered food because I'm starving. That's amazing." No, it's good. It was. Uh, should I pause? I'm gonna let it play out. Natural found sound, <laughs> natural audio. But I get tagged. I'm eating in this diner, and I get tagged in a photo 
And it's a picture of me in that diner while I'm still there. And someone saying, look who I just found. Let's guess what he's eating. And it's from the perspective of your pancakes. It's like someone in the diner. No, it's, it's insane. It's like the call's coming from inside the house. Yeah, yeah. It wrecked me. Yeah, that's And weird. then my shrink was like, this is... <laughs> in- initially, my shrink was like, yo, people recognize you and you've worked hard for that. Stop being... That, you know, you've worked for this. But then I realized, then she came back and went, you know, you know what? I was wrong. Like so much of your former mental issues were around paranoia. Yeah. And now you've actually got someone taking clandestine photos of you. Yeah. You have to be okay with the fact, you're not crazy to feel this paranoia because it's real. It used to not be rooted in reality. I know. I remember one time when we got lunch and you were like, hey, it's okay. You can go on meds. It's fine. Uh, you were like, yeah, and I had this paranoia where I always thought that all the cars behind me were cop cars. All the time. Every and time I drove at night. You know what's so crazy is that I also— is That is thinking every car behind you is a cop car? Yeah, I also thought that, and I had never met anybody else who also you thought that. You and I, unlike— Mal, let's just get to the heart of this. Okay. We're different people. Yeah. <laughs> and yet I feel in many ways that—and I'm not being hyperbolic— and this is not me putting on a show. I almost don't want to say this publicly because it's such a true thing personally. We are very different people. And yet in many ways, maybe more than anyone else I've met through my travels in art, we have the most in common. We have much in common. And yet, Brain-wise, for and, sure. And yet on the surface, people would look at our lives and say, why would Mal want to even be around that fucking no. dork? No. Yes. No. Mal's- Maybe like that makes sense. They're both like self-deprecating sad boys from Jersey area. <laughs> I'm so, I'm, but I'm so happy. I'm so happy that we met and realized this. But who would have thought that out of almost any artist I've ever met, you're the one who I think gets inside my brain the most. Oh, that's so sweet. What are the other things we should discuss about art? Yeah. Okay. We got to talk about art. You're... We've ne- I've never asked you directly. Have you ever thought about doing comedy? Have you ever thought it would be a fun challenge? Yeah, I've thought about it because I think about quitting music all the time. And right. I'm always like, what else can I Another do? Another thing we have in common, a desperate desire to quit this life. Yeah, although I don't know. I, with comedy, I don't even know where I would begin. So like, obviously I have little bits that I do on stage, you know, Your banter, between songs. Anybody out there. Some of the best banter in the game right here. You and Laura Stevenson, some of the best in-between song funny banter I've ever heard. And you never feel like you're trying too hard. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because sometimes me and the band have discussions where they're like... <laughs> Can we just play the next song, please? Because <laughs> you'll go... I have seen you talk. Too much. I have seen you play a song and too then much. talk for longer than that song was or the next song is going to of be. Of course, you have to. I've seen shows of yours where absolutely 51% talking, 49% music. So maybe I could do comedy, but the problem is that... <laughs> The problem is that I think like, you know, in between songs, it's like, you know, you've got a a low bar there because most musicians aren't very funny. So no. you, you can be funny. But I think if I was going out there and I was like, what's up? I'm a comic. Get ready to, to you laugh. you love it. Your banter, I watch you and you love getting the laughs. You do. Who you doesn't? Do. You're rubbing your head in what looks like you wish I didn't call you out on this. No, I love it. Call no, me out on everything. I've seen other musicians who try to be funny. And I have seen you, I, like I'm saying, it's you and Laura are the two where I'm like, oh, you love the jokes. You love getting the laugh in I the do. way I love getting a laugh. 
Yeah. Same way I love getting a laugh. You love getting a laugh. Outward, external validation that you can't give yourself? But not just through the song. <laughs> because most musicians, the songs are that. No. You not for me. So? No, no, I'm saying you're right, but not for me. And what I want to focus on. Is that? Pity Boy. Yeah, let's Don go back Giovanni and talk Records. about me. Let's go back to talking Amazing. about me. Every song I've heard about it is awesome. The videos are great. <laughs> I Don't Want To is a banger. Mal, I could go- start going on your song. I have distinct memories of your songs. I remember once a girl I had a love affair with, and your songs randomly came out of my car, and she said, pull over, who is this? What? I said, this is my friend Mal. You never told it. And listened. Yeah. yeah. Your songs mean a lot. New it's, Year's Eve. What is um Classic. What does a love Ball? affair mean to you? You know. <laughs> I'm not Hold sure. On. What does love Brr, affair mean? <laughs> I'm pushing the bullshit buzzer here. What is a... Because <laughs> I've known you long enough, my friend, to know that I do not need to explain. <laughs> well. A burning, bright, quickly uh, passing love uh, affair to God. Mal Blum. We've both gotten ourselves in trouble with these emotional turmoil relationships. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You think? Oh, what's a love affair, Mal? Asks Gethard. Well, what's a love yeah, affair for straight people? Yeah, right, says I mean- <laughs> Gethard. You don't know what a love affair is. You and I have poured our hearts out to each other over these brunches. Oh, God. I had a breakup this week, actually, already. Really? Yep. <laughs> I love you to death, Mal, but I, this has been a sentence you've said every time we've hung out. <laughs> When have we hung out where you haven't had a breakup that week? I'm so sorry to hear it, first of all. But no, I'm also going to put the screws to you and get the No, laugh. you're right. You're right. Uh, we often do. Here's a funny thing. Two people, again, very different. We've leaned on each other over breakups. That's true. That's you've, true. Given me, you've given me a shoulder to cry on over my, very, my straight relationship breakups. Well, because sexual orientation aside, I think, you know, being attracted to... Um, erratic or controlling or people who will blow your life up. I mean, yeah. that just has no gender. That's true. We, if, if my, se- if sexual identity can be defined as dating people who you are scared of or who want to control you in ways you are uncomfortable with, then I think you and I, yes, yeah, finally same, have found the way that we are of the same sexual identity. <laughs> if we were, basically, if a sexual identity can be defined as loving trouble, in yeah. other human beings who you date, then yes, we have found the common sexual identity. I don't know. Do you think I should go to like... I was thinking... <laughs> I was thinking recently, I was like, I don't know, maybe I should go to like a love addict meeting or something. Wow. I don't know. I could this see shit it. ain't working. I'll tell you what. We can talk off mic, but I've had the same thought about myself. We're gonna go. I've had the same thought, me and you. Me and you Great. team up and go to a love addicts meeting together. Incredible. But we can't go together because we'll just keep making eye contact and laughing. Yeah, that and would everyone's be feelings will be hurt. So uh, where do you think I should start with my comedy career? <laughs> I think you'd actually be good at it. I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd chug it. Like most people have to go and do a million open mics, but I feel like you've already done that. You've already dabbled. I can't go to any more open mics. I'm tired. What? Because you came up. Am I right in remembering you came up a little bit in like the coffee house scene? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toured in coffee houses for years. And now you're on Don Giovanni and you got the full band. You're a little bit more of a punker. A little more of a punker. But you still got that song. Indie indie rocker, maybe? How do your lyrics hit you? If we're talking about art. Okay. Do you, like writing process? Yeah. Do you just like always keep a pad with you or constantly have notes in your phone? Because you have some turns of frames that I love. Thank I was you. Thinking about, back to cut your... Good night. I was thinking about this with you. Mm-hmm. Your hair was black until oh, it was blue. 
I've always had a crush on you. Oh, a very traditional. I was 18. But also, <laughs> give like, me a but break. But then even that song hits another level of I write these songs about you. I play them at my shows. I write these songs about you. And I hope that you know. It's like right there. That's beyond an 18-year-old. <laughs> that's the early, if we're going to get the career retrospect, that's the early Malibu lyric where you're like, ooh, ooh, that's got some spice on that right there. Yep. And then with every progressive album, I feel like things have gotten, um, what would I say? Just as charming. Here's what I'll say about the, your growth as an artist that I've sensed as someone who has been along for some of the ride and has also, because I think... Was San Crystal Ball your second? I forget. Or every time you go somewhere, was that the, that was the name of the album? San Crystal Ball was track one. Was yes. that your second album after Goodnight Sugar Pop? Um, technically, there was an album before Goodnight Sugar Pop, but that I have I'll never know about. Grubbed it from the internet. Beautiful. Because well, I was, it must have been because that's hard to do. Because I recorded it when I was seventeen. You can't be doing that. You can't be putting that out. Listen though, here's no, what it I was, was out. Say. I scrubbed it. <laughs> so, so I was around pretty early, and yeah. I've seen a lot of the albums come out. Here's what I will say that has impressed me the most about you is that your lyrics remain, they, they have retained all of their charm and you clearly feel no need to be as cute. No, yeah. I'm you not, know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not cute anymore. They still stab you in the guts and there's still so many of them where I'm like, oh, fuck, that's good, Mal. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. But you, you don't... You're like... They're, but they're not... You're not like winking at the camera anymore. You know what I nah, mean? Yeah. You don't need to. Yeah, I'm not quite so tongue-in-cheek anymore. Uh, but still very funny. Thank you. Um, so, but let's, let's, because uh, we haven't talked about you at all. So I, who, I have some, who cares? I, have some, I, I care. They've all heard so it you, before. Even I'm tired of it. You're tired me. of Well, I have some questions. Okay. Um, oh, because you asked me how, what my writing process is. If I mm-hmm. bring a pad around. First of all, I can't write by hand. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can physically write by hand, but like I can't write at length by hand. It's yeah. part of my like... Same. ADHD. Like yeah. I, I, never, I had like an IEP about it at school. It's like I can't like rip. So no pads. I don't really bring that stuff around. And I d- go through long periods without writing mm-hmm. too. So like when I, so this is what I wanted to ask you. Do you find that when you're promoting something, you're not able to create? Very interesting question. I know. I'm a very good interviewer. Well, <laughs> <laughs> You goddamn charmer. <laughs> um, I would say that it works on two levels. One is I think one of the things I've, I've done for myself that has served me best is I always have a back burner project that no mm. one knows about. Mm-hmm. So like when I was working on my TV show, well, I'm kind of sneaking away at night. And when that's too much pressure, I'm working on a book. And mm-hmm. then the book comes out and everybody's like, whoa. And then I get to go on... TV shows, like I got to go on Conan and promote the book. And then they also play a clip of the TV show. It helps all those boats mm-hmm. rise. You know, I'm working on, there's stuff right now that I'm working on publicly with, with the new public access show I just launched. Mm-hmm. And then I have a big project going on that no one knows about that I'm not going to make public because I don't want people asking me about it because I don't want the pressure on it. You going to tell me about it off mic? I will. You'll be very excited. Great. But, so I always have managed to do that. Long-term, slow-burning things, like the equivalent would be like if you had an album coming out, but then you were also working on like a, you know, collaborative thing with someone else. Just like, Mm -hmm. hey, let's, but let's let that take three or four years if it needs it. Have that ball in the air. I have long-term plans like that, but I don't 
I don't actively work on them. That keeps they're... me sane is mm, always having those. That's the safety net where mm. I feel like I won't totally crumble if one thing tanks. Yeah. Now, as far as writing actual You're jokes, diversifying your portfolio, I would say that for, <laughs> for I would say that for someone of my level of experience in the stand-up scene, and, and um, I am probably one of the worst writers as far as generating mm. new material. It takes me longer than most people at my level. And I'm also very bad at being disciplined about it. Mm. Most of my stories, because my stand-up, I tend to tell stories. A lot of them I never write down. I just kind of mumble on the subway and people think I'm insane. And then I tell them on stage fully formed mm. and uh, start workshopping. Comedy is interesting too because I'm very jealous of you as a musician because you get to write a song and then you can play the song for people and people can tell you if they like it. You can adjust the song in private. You can only adjust jokes by doing them in front of crowds. You have mm. to bomb. Mm. Like you don't, I'm sure there's musicians who do, but you don't have to try out a new song before you're reasonably confident that it's where you want it. You have producers and engineers and musicians you can say, hey, let me play this for you and tell me in the van or behind closed doors what you think and I can mm. adjust tinker. Comedy it is literally impossible to know if a joke works until you say it out loud in front of a paying audience. Interesting. So the writing process is hard. Most of it, I'll sometimes write little sentence fragments, mostly on my phone. I keep a joke notebook too. I actually have it with me. Nope. Um, I keep opening a notebook. up his backpack. So once I, <laughs> once I start really getting, once I'm really cooking on an idea or like oh, thinking of an album, then I start. Wow, this looks like a serial killer's yeah, mind. <laughs> you'll see. And every single one of these what things that has a line on it is a different joke. You'll, you'll love this. Like, so just one of them, like, oh, here's one I forgot. Okay. And I started doing it. Okay. Just the quote, like this popped into my what head. What is it? This popped into my head. Oh, you have an opinion on ganache now? What is ganache? Ganache is the hard chocolate shell that goes over many desserts. <laughs> and this joke is about how Great British Bake Off yeah. is such a gentle show. But as an American, the joke, and it's been working. I've been building. I'm glad I read that because I forgot I was working on it. I also have that bad habit where I'll work on jokes and get them good and then fucking forget them. But it's like Americans were so trained as TV viewers to be like, everything's competitive. Everything's yeah. about drama. I know. Everything's about fun. And Great British Bake Off legitimately is a show where it's like, no, yeah, their cake was better. I should be voted off the show. So my yeah. thing is like watching it as an American, I'll sit there and they'll be like, oh yeah, I understand why I'm leaving. Like mm. I'm definitely, I've been in over my head for a few weeks. And meanwhile, I'm sitting home and I'm like, take your fucking bullshit, <laughs> that ganache, that was not shiny ganache. Take your fucking bullshit ganache and go back to fucking Wales. Damn. You fucking lose. Like I can't not watch it as yeah. an American yeah. consumer, even totally. though it's not that at all. So that's one. The biggest what point of drama on that show is that one episode where the guy was like, I'm throwing it out. And he throws his whole oh, yeah. cake out. Most and dramatic like, what'd you do that for? And that would have been a three episode discussion on American. Mal, you'll love what? my joke notebook. Yeah. Because the yeah. things that go in order make no sense. Here's how fucked up my brain is. Ready? First thing on this. Fitbit thinks you're walking when you're masturbating. Just FYI. I've heard you workshop that joke. About how when you're jerking off, it gives you steps. <laughs> next one. Totally. Here's how you want to talk about ADHD. Na next one. Yeah. This yeah. one's true because you know us. My wife makes every situation more fun. I make every situation between one third and one half less fun. That's why you're perfect together. And then there's What Ganesh. about the baby? <laughs> the baby. He's so cool. He makes it fun. He's so cool. You're going to let really I really got to meet like, that baby. You're going to like this kid. I haven't seen the baby yet. You're going to like him. Next one. The only time you're allowed to act crazy on the subway is making faces at a baby. And I, I, I can just tell you from experience that that's not true. You can't even do that? No, everybody can. Everybody acts crazy on the subway. But the only time I feel like 
like if someone's making a fucked up face and I see them. And it's you a baby. And I look over and there's like a baby looking at him next to him. I'm like, great. It's the yeah. only time I feel safe with a crazy face on a subway. It says the guy who mutters to himself on the subway, these weird jokes. <laughs> Someone once tried to fight me. I believe that. I was once working on a bit and kind of mumbling to myself and staring off into space. And this dude who's clearly a drug addict. I look, well, first you'll love it. The guy across, I see the guy across from me kind of looking at me, like nodding. I'm like, what the fuck? And I see him nodding, sort of like, I got your back. And then I realize there's this drug addict. I don't want to be like dismissive, but like probably most people would say a junkie. That's what the appearance was. Clearly though, messed up on something. He's like, don't you fucking stare at me. Stop fucking looking at me. And I was like, hey man, I, I'm sorry. I, I was in my own head. I wasn't even trying to look at you, man. I'm sorry about that. He's like, stop fucking looking. Turn away. You look out the fucking window right now. Really going at me hard. And then yeah. I was like, hey man, fine, whatever. And then kept coming at me. And um, he was with his uh, lady and I was with the lady I was dating at the time. And I really thought there was going to be a fight and I was scared because I was like, I think I can hold my own, but I, th- I think that I think my girlfriend might get dragged in. So they might fuck up. My, this might lead to my girlfriend getting fucked up on the subway. So I just bit my tongue, which was hard for me because yeah, I was gotta. raised in New Jersey and yeah. I do have some rage in there. Sure, yeah. I'm not going to let someone just fucking be like you look out the window when i tell you to bitch like i'm not i can't do that we have very different social boundaries i'm uh i i have no boundaries with strangers if somebody's like look out the window motherfucker i'd be like okay yeah i mean i went with it but i was mad at myself no you did the right thing i know um but take that with a grain of salt because again i have zero boundaries with strangers for example two nights ago walking home two in the morning girl just walked up to me and started holding my hand i let her <laughs> of course it's the most mal shit i've ever heard she just walked up started holding my hand she was like tired talking to me her name was mika i was like what's up okay she's and she grabbed my hand and was like i'm gonna hold your hand and i was like okay let, why does it happen and i, I say this because here's the thing you're an attractive human being no but here's but the you thing you also ooze sexuality to no, certain it's people it's not sexuality it wasn't people sexuality walk up and just no. grab your no. hand but here's the thing we're walking she's talking to me and then she's like and i'm not gay or anything but she she saw she knew uh <laughs> no i think she just i think people just sense me as boundaryless she said, there's something happening churning deep within me that i didn't know no. was there before and I'm no it's that. not like that anyway you can't write by hand i've shown you my yeah, process. yeah yeah oh so, i have other questions you just had a baby yeah and you are an artist and a performer yeah. and a touring artist and performer. Yeah. Do you feel like having the baby has affected you as a creator in any way, positive, negative? And how do you make that work with touring? Well, I haven't toured yet. You haven't yet. Cal was born in April. I don't have any touring days on oh, the book until brand new baby. September. <laughs> yes, he's brand, he's he's brand new. So I took, off, I took off from the road until September. Okay. Um, paternity leave. Paternity you made leave. Your own paternity and, I'm, leave. and I'm still working in New York and doing mm-hmm. shows in New York, but I'm home every day, mm-hmm. at least for some of the day. Do you and Hallie have like a schedule? A little bit. Like I usually, I'll wake up like one to two hours earlier than I normally would because the thing you don't think about with a baby is like, oh, if I just wake up at my regular time, Hallie might not be able to shower today. Right, right, right. right. Or like she's going to have to choose between eating breakfast and taking a shower. Right. And that sucks. So like you need to schedule things in that more like carving out logistics right. rather than scheduling. Um, I do an overnight feeding. That's the schedule. As far as touring goes, like, yeah, it's it's been so scary because emotionally the TV show had run its course and I think I was still reasonably proud of everything we were putting out. 
but I could feel that waning and I could feel it being taken away from me. Financially, it's certainly terrifying to like lose my main source of income mm. and then stop touring. And it's a little bit sobering as far as like the, you know, money's always going to come and go as an artist. And it's very sobering to realize like, oh, this idea that like, oh, next year, if I make one third of what I made this year, I'll find a way to get by. Like, can't do that any mm-hmm. anymore. There's like an actual human life on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very sobering. But at the end of the day, I have been extraordinarily uh, lucky. Some of that luck is driven by relentless hard work. <laughs> um, but those two things have combined where I have, have managed to make some money and had three or four years there that were very, very good. And one philosophy that I always have and that Hallie really shares is like when you make money as an artist, what you don't do is start fucking, you don't go and buy a crazy ass car or get, Mm-mm. you know, quintuple your rent to go live in a fancy place. Mm-mm. What you do, in my opinion, is you live exactly the same way you were living 10 mm-hmm. years ago and you just start have a retirement account. And you have a safety net. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you the real truth artistically. And I feel like many people in my life have dismissed this. And I wonder what you'll say. He makes me want to quit. Hmm. I want to go hang out with him. Hmm. I don't need I don't need to go prove anything. I think I've actually, I'm happy he was born. I I think I actually proved a lot of things I I wanted to prove. Hmm. I think I took things to some places that nobody expected from me. There were so many times where people were like, this talk show's not happening, dude. Quit on it. So many other things I passed on. And then we took it pretty fucking far. Mm -hmm. But now I don't have anything to prove and I kind of want to, I don't want to be a workaholic. I don't want my son to see me as a workaholic. Mm. I saw my dad that way. And my dad and I have had conversations about, Mm. I think I got a work ethic from him that served me well. And I'm so proud to be his son. Great dad. There were times that I saw him in a state that I think he maybe wishes that I hadn't seen him in, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't want my son to see me like that. So there's a part of me that wants to maybe really think about scaling back my lifestyle Mm. where financially I don't need as much to support it and uh, maybe go disappear. There's a part of me that feels like if in two years comedians around New York are like, whatever happened to Gethard, that that means I'll probably be headed in a direction that I like. Hmm. I want to go away. Trying to find some work-life balance here. I just kind of want to go away. Hmm. Interesting. I love my podcast. Maybe just keep doing my podcast and live off that. You know? Yeah. I don't know if I need to do other stuff. It might be nice to go live a smaller life. What about you? Um, you still got the fire and you still got. I want to diversify my uh, <laughs> my income source because right now I'm in, a, you know, we're, we're in a, I'm in an industry where you have to stay on the road uh, to make money. And even then you're not making very much money. So it'd be, I think it would be cool if I, you know, followed some of my other creative endeavors as well. I went to a modeling audition the other day. God damn it. <laughs> I'm telling you. Five foot two, baby. This magnetism, though. <laughs> it's so funny. You proclaimed yourself, you're self deprecating. You're like, oh, I'm chubby. I'm five foot two. And yet you're getting invited to modeling. Random, one, one ever. Random Come people on. walking up to you, grabbing your hand and saying, I'm not gay or anything. Clearly a way of saying, <laughs> holy shit, I'm so attracted to you that I had to act on it. This is outside of how I defined myself up into this moment. No, it's, it's the magnetism, it's animal not. magnetism. That girl the other day, it was like, it's the same thing as when you cannot bullshit me. This guy was like, Hey, do you have any food? And I was like, I have this cupcake. And he was like, put it in my mouth. And so I just it's did not. it. 
That I've it's been like boundaryless. It's not magnetism. I've been to your shows, my friend. <laughs> and um, you know, I what don't else? Know. Yeah. Anyway, Cal, Cal makes me want to scale back, live a smaller life. What else? What are the other last minute questions? Or are we done here? Well, I think we should find something to end on. Something you know? to end on. What's a good closing thing? Let's see. You want me to check my? Mm. Is there a good closing question? Because I have a good closing statement. I think in my mind. Um, I have a lot of questions about your baby, but I can ask you that privately. Uh, That's just we need to like hang. <laughs> we out. gotta hang out. Um, I got a closing statement for you. All right, give me give me your. Here's what I would say. Okay. To sum up my thoughts, first of all, I want to say again, Pity Boy, it's coming out. By the time you hear this, it will be out. We'll be out there. Mal is an artist worthy of your support. This is a good person. If you've heard Mal before, understand that we've all been able to watch Mal evolve as an artist. And I think clearly the buzz is warranted. <laughs> Things are hitting the an buzz. apex. I'll also <laughs> say this. There's, we didn't even get into this. I think there's a certain type of artist that I think in the past few years has in a very exciting way caught a lot of attention. And these are, are, are powerful singer-songwriters who aren't cis males, I think is how you'd say it. I'm thinking of like mm. Waxahachie exploding. Sure. I'm thinking of Mitski exploding. Sure. These are people I think you have a lot in common with in certain mm. ways as far as the space you occupy in your industry. May, uh, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, the industry's finally ready for Mal. And you those know. artists' success are showing me that there's more of a place than there was six, seven, eight years ago for them to understand the brilliance of Malbum. I hope that you're right. Um, I also have had some experiences just this past year that I was like, oh, there's still so many old guards so in many. the music industry. So many. And the fact is I couldn't, this is the first time as of like a few months ago that I've ever, that I've been able to find a manager willing to take me on and that I've yeah. been willing to find an agent willing to take me on. Nonsense. Um, it's That's a lunacy. And it's been nothing but rejection for 10 years. And that yeah. includes almost every indie label even the feminist ones that you could think of. It's bullshit. Don Giovanni's the only one well, look, that wanted to take us and on. And there'll always be, I, you're, <laughs> and I know you're smart enough to not forget that. And you're not, and I know you're smart enough to not get caught up in it as it moves forward, but. Yeah, no, I hope things I are changing. I think this but. swing, I think this swing is going to connect Let's in a see. big way. I'm excited. And I will say this is my closing statement. Yeah. As an artist, you can often feel very alone, Mm. very confused about if you're making anything resembling a good choice in your life. Mm. And one of the things I've come to learn more and more is that it can be a very lonely path, especially if you're someone who's hard to define. And mm. you've been hard to define as an artist at times. I've been hard to define as an artist at times. People have watched my comedy and not known what to make of it at times. And in the course of living that life, every once in a while, you're kind of wandering through the desert and you come across another person mm. And artists need to connect and lean on each other. And all our jokes aside, you have been someone in my life who has been that for me. And I don't know if I would have been able to uh, keep my head above water and make choices that were sort of risky without you and a handful of other artists in my life. So I thank you for being one of those people. Wow. That's, uh, that's huge. I didn't know. No, I, I, yeah, I have a lot to thank you for as well. And I think you're, I think you've always done good work. You're putting good work into the world and you connect with people and, you know, maybe, maybe what we can take away is, uh, above all, the art was the friends we made along the way. I'm going to retire 
I turn 40 next year. I'm going to retire. Thank you for the kind words, but those days are done. I'm cooked. My goose is cooked. I don't matter anymore. Goodbye. I, mean, I know you keep saying that, but like, I'm also <laughs> like, you probably, I mean, I don't know. I talk about quitting like, you know, once a year. So, I mean, when I fill you in on the stuff I'm up to, you're going to be like, you're an insane person. That is absolutely not quitting. Yeah. When I tell you my workload right now, you're going to be like, fuck off, dude. Yeah. But that's a good, it's an escapist. As my therapist would say, it's being like, well, I'm just going to quit the whole thing anyway, is like a little bit of like a comforting escapism because you're like, it doesn't matter if this goes well or not because I'm going to quit. I'm going to go find a real life because I'm aware that there is one out there. Oh my God. Should we eat these vegan <laughs> yeah, burgers? Yeah, let's go I'm eat. so hungry. Thanks I'm for so, having so us. so, hungry. Thank you for inviting me M- to do this. Mark and Talk House. Um, thanks, thanks for being for my doing, pal. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> I cannot wait to listen to this. <laughs> Mel Blum, Chris Gethard, thank you so much for joining us here on the TalkHouse podcast. And I just want to reiterate how fucking down for weird Mal Yankovic the TalkHouse staff is. And I'm sure we can get the uh, Meat is Murder vegan meatless burger to, to sponsor the, the record <laughs> as well. Gethard uh, you know, is, a, is an early investor in that Morrissey-related enterprise. A notorious, notorious Smiths fan, that Gethard. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, definitely make sure to check out Chris's other appearances on our show. As we mentioned at the top, he's been on at different times with both Todd Barry and Tim Heidecker. And those are great conversations as well. Today's show is produced by Mark Yoshizumi and recorded at Hook and Fade Studios in Bushwick, Brooklyn. The theme song is by The Range. And we do have some very cute pictures on our socials from today's talk. They're going to be so mad. (laughs) Those guys are being called cute. They are serious artists who just happen to be adorable friends. That's it. That's it. We have some adorable photos <laughs> on our socials. That's at TalkHouse across the board. Till next week, I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm Nick Dawson. Peace. And Chris Gethard Hattricks. There we go. Hello. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Pro Tools. Hello, Pro Tools, my old friend. Hello, Pro Tools, my old friend. Thank you.